Welcome to Common Ground Radio, an hour-long discussion of local food and organic agriculture with people in Maine and beyond. Brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association in conjunction with WERU, your community radio station. Common Ground Radio can be heard on the second Thursday of each month at 4 p.m. on 89.9 FM and at WERU.org. My name is Holly Cedarholm, and I'm your host for today. We'll be discussing collaborative models for Maine farmers and food producers with representatives from Daybreak Growers Alliance, which is a food distribution hub, and the Maine Flower Collective, which offers a centralized sales and delivery network for flower farmers and florists within the state. First, I'll be speaking with the Daybreak Growers Alliance, a woman-owned, farmer-driven Maine food distribution business. Daybreak aggregates markets and delivers food items ranging from fresh produce to eggs, dairy, meat, bread, and more from over 70 Maine-based farm and food businesses to residents across the state. I'm joined by Colleen Hanlon-Smith, who is a co-founder and owner of Daybreak Growers Alliance. Colleen has worked in various capacities to serve the Northeast food system and farming communities and is a founding member of Waldo County Bounty, which is a hunger relief nonprofit. Colleen, welcome to Common Ground Radio. Thanks so much, Holly. It's great to be here. I'm also talking with Adrienne Lee, who is a co-founder and owner of Daybreak Growers Alliance. Additionally, she is co-farmer and owner of New Beat Farm, a MOFCA-certified organic vegetable and cut flower farm located in Knox, Maine. Adrienne, welcome to the show. Hi, Holly. Thanks so much for having me on today. I'd like to just start by asking, what is Daybreak Growers Alliance? Yeah, well, you gave a good summary of it, um, but Daybreak Growers Alliance is a woman-owned for-profit business. I am one of the owners, and my partner, Adrian, who also is a, a farmer that owns New Beat Farm um, in Knox, is the other owner of Daybreak. And it really started as a collection of farms in the Waldo County and surrounding counties really wanting to um, have a distribution company that was representative of what their needs were, and a secure marketplace for their harvest. When did it start? So we officially got underway in the spring of 2019. Uh, We incorporated as a business. And there's kind of an interesting backstory to it in that I used to be the general manager of a for-profit subsidiary of Maine Farmland Trust called Unity Food Hub, which was a model that didn't work under that organization. The organization decided to go in a different direction, meaning made farmland trust. The farmers said, we really don't want to lose these markets that were created for the three years that the Unity Food Hub existed. And so um, there was sort of a rebuild year where Adrian, my business partner, hosted it at her farm, came back to me a year later and said, Colleen, you know, I need, I need help to really formalize this into a business. Can we join forces on this? And we made a go of it in uh, the spring of 2019. So we're just entering, about to enter into our fourth year. So kind of into the toddler years and out of the infancy years. And so it's been a very exciting startup over these past years and uh, quite a wild ride. So you have a pretty extensive background working in the local food system. And I'm wondering about your sort of understanding of the state's food landscape and how that came into play in rehabbing that former project and developing the Daybreak Growers Alliance? Yeah, um, it has been such an awesome career, if you could call it that. And just to sort of give it some context back and how it got going for me, I was um, I was a student at Bates College in, in Lewiston 
doing a little homesteading in Bodenham when there was a sort of a resurgence or, or a number of farmers that were just getting on the land there. And I had a sneaking suspicion that folks who lived off of Portland and the Casco Bay Islands might be folks that would want local and organic foods and not be able to access them as readily. And so during my college summers, I was getting to know farmers who were just getting underway in the Bodenham area and started a distribution business called Peak Season. And so that's really how my work in this began. And that was back in 2005, 2006. And during that time, there was some momentum going with small and organic farms in Maine, but it's just been astounding to see how that's grown over these past almost couple decades now um, and how it really has solidified over time. At, at that time too, there was really a bottleneck with markets uh, for farms that more and more markets and more and more demand has come into play for local and organic foods. And so really cool to see that. Uh, interest step up over these past years and that much more so with the pandemic. And so um, it's been a couple decades of sort of asking the question about how to build the market for Maine farms, um, who's not eating Maine grown food, how can we get food from the farmers and producers to the people wherever they may be in, in schools and in businesses at home, um, how do we expand that marketplace? And, and what does that look like? So you're serving farmers and food producers by helping get their food out and you're serving your customers, including retail and wholesale customers. So how is Daybreak strengthening the connection between eaters and food producers in Maine? The wholesale market as, as farms, you know, my, my trajectory and my uh, work has sort of paralleled uh, the small and organic farmers experience in that, for instance, you know, I... I had worked as the first executive director of the Maine Federation of Farmers Markets as a former career, even before the Unity Food Hub days. Um, so for instance, many farms started off with direct marketing opportunity at farmers markets. Some still maintain that, but as they've grown or for those farms that have wished to expand, the need to really find those crop that they want to hone in on, that they're making profitable margin on, um, and be able to have markets at a scale whereby they can move more food than perhaps a direct retail opportunity would afford them um, has grown over time as these farms have become more established. And so Unity Food Hub and now Daybreak Growers Alliance is an example of how to make that all come together. And I had worked on the, the business plan for Unity Food Hub in terms of what the model would be before it came to be. And it's the same model that we now have as Daybreak Growers Alliance, which is really three different market channels that Daybreak is focused. Uh, one is direct to consumer through our farm box program, which is a completely customizable year round um, CSA or farm share. Um, I know that the term CSA has kind of shifted over time, but what I mean by that is folks can um, the week before their order is delivered to 30 different locations in greater Portland, central and mid coast, Maine, they can pick out exactly what they want from a whole range of Maine grown and produced foods and have that delivered to a neighborhood location near them. So that's our direct to consumer one, one of three market channels that we really focus on. Um, the other is uh, wholesale, which is buying in volume from farms and redistributing that food to a range of different customers, whether that's retailers like natural food stores and grocers, or it is value-added businesses that are making pizza or oatmeal or any range of things with main grown ingredients, caterers, restaurants, schools, businesses, 
anywhere where people are accessing food in either prepared form in a grocery form, how do we get that food out to them is the wholesale side of what we do. And then the third market channel is food access. So a recognition that we want to um, not only have enough of a marketplace for these farms and enough of a marketplace for Daybreak to be able to sustain what it's doing, but we want to make these foods accessible to as many Mainers as we can. And you had referenced before that I was one of the founding partners of Waldo County Bounty, which is a uh, hunger relief and farm viability initiative out of Waldo County. Um, this has sort of also been central to my work is asking this question about how do we expand this marketplace through creating access to Mainers at all different income levels. And Waldo County Bounty specifically is one of several food access programs that we've developed at Daybreak or worked in partnership with a Daybreak, whereby we are buying food at fair market value from farmers and redistributing into hunger relief organizations such as soup kitchens or food pantries or after-school programs um, in an effort to be able to make that food that's grown by the our farm partners accessible to all Mainers is sort of the lofty ideal there that we continually strive to, to meet. Are you still working with Waldo County Bounty on this initiative or who are some of the partners that you're involved with? Yeah, so um, we are we are working very closely with Waldo County Bounty, specifically uh, one of their areas of programming that we had developed with them is the Farm to Pantry program. And so within Waldo County, we are purchasing from our farm partners, especially those that are close to home in Waldo and the surrounding counties and directing that into 18 hunger relief organizations within Waldo County. So that's one example of the food access work we're doing. Um, this past year, we expanded upon that through an opportunity um, called the Local Food Purchasing Agreement, whereby we took the same model of purchasing at fair market value from farms and redistributing to hunger relief organizations, but expanded that across the state through a number of different trucking partnerships um, and through funding from the federal government that was facilitated through the Department of Agriculture here in Maine uh, to be able to take that model that we had started with Waldo County Bounty and the Farm to Pantry program and expand it to thus far over 50 additional hunger relief organizations throughout Maine. And that that number is growing um, as, as we establish that program further. And then just uh, I'll note a couple other ones that we're excited about that are kind of in pilot form, but uh, well, we have this airtime, maybe it'll get others excited about it as well. We are uh, partnering with some folks at um, MCD Global Health and a variety of other partners to really try to address a gap in early childhood education. You know, there's a lot of focus that has gone on, a lot more work that needs to happen in the K through 12 level in terms of getting local foods into K through 12 age school children uh, or, or creating access for K through 12 school children. But at the ECE level, before they're even hitting kindergarten. Um, that's sort of a whole market demographic that um, there hasn't been a lot of attention paid to how to, at a very young age, be really focusing on opportunities to be getting main grown and organic foods. Um, so that is one area that we've started with our um, sort of a build off of our farm box or CSA program on reduced cost shares into early childhood education centers. And then another one that I'd love to highlight that I'm really excited about is we worked with we worked with KV Cap, the uh, Kennebec Valley Cap Agency this past year 
their insurance provider was actually able to work with essentially their HR department and us to be able to create a subscription to our farm box as an employee benefit. So what a great way for them to differentiate as an employer and what a great way to be able to create a benefit for the employees to be able to have uh, local food, a range of different local foods of their choice dropped off in a package at their work site to be able to take home with them. And so we're hopeful that that model is something that we can work with other employers to do as well. And that more and more um, we can be looking towards insurance companies and, and really trying to encourage them to be seeing food as a part of health um, in, in insurance benefit packages for employers. And so these are a couple different ways that we're just looking at the ways that people are accessing food and how it can be incorporated or, or greater access can be created through different partnerships and different innovation in the food system. Adrian, is there anything you'd like to add? I think the wide variety of ways that we're working um, with our local farmers and our community to be able to get local food distributed more equitably is feels really satisfying in the work that we do. Adrian, I have a question for you as a farmer. I'm thinking about the farmer and food producer end of sort of mm-hmm. the three prong marketing strategy that the Daybreak Growers Alliance has, and. I'm wondering if you could speak to the benefit as a farmer participating in the Daybreak Growers Alliance um, and selling produce through it. What is your experience? Yeah, well, I think that the, especially when you're speaking to like the kind of multiple different avenues that food moves through Daybreak as a farmer, it provides for a really stable marketplace um, and one where there's like a balance, uh, kind of different things. Our CSA program, our farm box program allows for a level of, um, I would say, tailored crop planning volume going through that as a farmer that I can kind of count on. Um, And then what has been wonderful with both the food access work and through wholesale, which are, I would say, slightly more... um, I don't know if you would say like as a farmer, more nimble markets, but more like with our farm box program, because people can customize their boxes weekly, there's a certain level of um, we've got a plan as of, of what we expect to sell, but we do as farmers have to anticipate um, what we're going to have a whole week out from like what we have um, available. You know, if we're going to say, oh, I have to be like, okay, I expect to have, you know, 200 heads of broccoli this week for this coming week. But then if, if, you know, if I end up having 300, that fresh produce that is definitely desired by our local community, but like, I can't put those in that week's boxes, we're able to find both wholesale and uh, opportunities to sell those. And then also those kind of products really fit well in with some of the food access um, distribution that we're doing. And so I think it's helping reduce potential loss on our farm and also allowing for us as then internally within daybreak, I think it's also allowing us to meet the crop plans that we have with farms by having a diverse ability to kind of, um, even though our customer base on our farm box program can pick and choose what they want through the different avenues of sales that we sell in daybreak, we can kind of still be able to really meet um, what we're planning at, for or more um, with our farm, the farms that we're working with. 
I read on your website that you're working with 70 or more food producers, which includes people who are also making value-added food products. Maybe you could speak to the breadth of producers that you have relationships with. And as, as far as the diversity of types of, of producers, you know, we work with, I would say the farm box program is where the, the lion's share of that 70 ends up kind of filtering through um, with offering both like, because we also are offering like some products that are seasonal, you know, we have produce farmers, we've got fruit, a whole variety of fruit producers, um, you know, in our, I would say our base is like Waldo County, but to meet that 70, you know, I think about fruit in particular, you know, we are working obviously with certain berry producers and stuff. They're not like within our right within our immediate community, but we really, but are very much involved in our, I would say our local our marketplace here. Um, and when you think about like our, our meat shares that are through our CSA and cheese shares and our all sorts of different add-ons we have, you know, you could, we have, you know, pretty much any type of meat you would like to purchase a whole variety of wonderful artisanal cheeses. We're getting bagels. We actually just this recently, this winter, like working with like a dumpling provider, you know, there's a whole variety, you know, we have quite a, a wide assortment of both, I would say fresh product and then also value added producers that are helping us to round out um, what people want and to get excited about in their weekly boxes. I don't know if you, I, it's like kind of hard when there's like so many to really necessarily like I could list all the different types out, but I don't know if any other ones that really come to mind, Colleen, that you feel like I should mention, but yeah, I think the aim is just uh, to be really focusing on main ingredients throughout that um, or, and, or main companies. So, you know, we make a couple exceptions for chocolate and coffee by main owned companies. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, everything is really a majority, if not all main ingredients on the value added side of it. Um, and a whole range, you know, you have your maple syrup and your honey, but also your crackers. And as Adrian was saying, your dumplings, there's a lot. Yeah. I'm like, what did I get in my farm box this week? Okay. I got some Sewell's cider vinegar. Um, and I got my swans five pound honey. And I went for a bunch of the value added stuff this week because I still had my carrots and onions and apples in the fridge and I didn't need more of them. And so just fun how you can really customize. You can really switch up from week to week. And there's such a breadth of products and such an impressive array of things being grown and produced uh, by these main in, independent farms and, and companies um, that really translate to being able to get a lot, if not all your food um, from main farms and from, from main food producers. You are listening to Common Ground Radio on WERU Community Radio 89.9 FM. I'm Holly Cedarholm, and on today's show, we're digging into collaborative models for Maine farmers and food producers with folks from Daybreak Growers Alliance, which is a food distribution business, and the Maine Flower Collective, which offers a centralized sales and delivery network for flower farmers and florists. With all of the different farmers and food producers that you work with, and then this wide distribution network that you have throughout the state, it seems like quite a feat to like organize all of that and to get the food in all the different places it needs to go. I'm hoping that you can talk a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes at Daybreak Growers Alliance in terms of infrastructure or staffing or anything like that. 
Yeah. I mean, I could take the first stab at that, I guess. It does take a lot. And I would say, so we are in what are our, our coming into our fourth season here. Um, and every year I feel like we become more and more of a well-oiled machine of just that logistical navigation. And also I think a lot of that comes with just like clear expectations and understanding of the processes, not only from internally with our really solid staff that we have, but that also with our food producers, we do have what could be our, when we need food week to week, um, lines up to some degree with other wholesale um, buyers from our farms. But in some ways we have kind of unique ordering needs that we've really had to work with our, especially our like regular week to week producers for in order to make sure that customers can get what they need when we need it. And then also we're able to pack these, because it's not like we're just putting stuff out on a shelf. We have to customize and pack out each one of these individual boxes. So um, the flow of receiving our products and then from the different farms that we're working with and then distributing them out. We are, you know, we're distributing shares Tuesday through Friday and we pack out our shares uh, twice a week. Um, and then we have two receiving days and the logistics of, of that and how it works best in order to a, like we really want to prioritize freshness. So we make sure that we're receiving our fresh products, you know, twice a week so that customers that are getting their boxes at the end of the week, aren't getting product that was received from us, like on a Monday, for example. So there does come a, a lot to that. We are, um, we work with a, a CSA, CSA where, which is like an online platform that helps us manage the logistics of the actual ordering process and the creating the pick lists and the, um, and that's really just the farm box side. Um, Colleen, I would love if you want to jump in and talk about just the logistics of the food access work. Cause that's, it's all there's, there is a lot, it all really can work really smoothly together, but there's a lot of components to ensuring that the back end of it all is working well. Yeah. These three market channels that I was mentioning, the, the farm box or CSA, the food access and the wholesale are really synergistic with one another. Um, as Adrian told from the farmer's perspective of being able to have some, some wax and wane and ebb and flow from what we've crop planned to helping meet that crop plan with farms through these different market channels. But it also means from a logistical end on the operations side that we are both receiving in food and needing to split it out for those three different markets, prepare it, um, and the multiple customers that come, literally hundreds of customers within each of those markets. And so I give a lot of credit to the farms and food producers we work with, who um, it's it's become, as Adrian said, a well-oiled machine over the years. And we've got an incredible team that's very committed and thoughtful about what they're doing and really treats it as, uh, if this was food I was receiving, you know, would I, would I want this in terms of quality check, in terms of uh, the value of the food that we're sending out, um, and the thoughtfulness and care that goes into that. Um, and beyond that, it's a ton of spreadsheets and it's a ton of logistics and it's a ton of balls in the air at all points in time. Um, it's a really unique, any farmer knows this, anyone involved in food knows this, but for folks that aren't, there is no... Uh, I'm going to take a sick day and come back tomorrow and start the work again. This is perishable product that we're receiving in. And so we've been, I'm going to knock on wood. 
I don't know if you guys can hear that on the airwaves right now, but we've been really lucky through a pandemic to to be keeping this rolling and through uh, ice storms that with trucks on the road, there's an immense amount of logistics and there's not a day off or many things that can be rescheduled um, in that way. And so it's taken a lot of heart and a lot of um, a lot of fine tuning as we go, a lot of little failures, but not a big enough one to take us down <laughs> and a lot of learning that comes from those little failures and, and continually trying to um, make improvements over time. Um, so it's, it's fun. It's not boring work. I'll, I'll put it that way. <laughs> you spoke to a couple of the pilot projects that you're really excited about in the food access realm. I'm curious if you have other things in the works you're talking about, um, you know, learning and growing and reflecting on the business over time. Are there other things um, you're looking forward to? Not that you need any more things on your plate, but if there are, I'm wondering if you want to talk about those. I'm interested in, in, you know, in a pretty, pretty white state, how do we make, make it so that uh, for increasing areas of diversity, largely around population centers, how do we make food accessible to, um, all different types of folks coming from all different places um, or or from Maine originally, but just how do we look at um, increasing immigrant refugee populations in places like Portland? Like for instance, dialing into some of these food access programs further. Um, and one example of that is through the local food purchasing agreement, which is that food access work where we're doing the farm to pantry that we started in step with Waldo County Bounty, but now expanding to other areas of the state. One window into that is, for instance, um, I mean, Health has opened up a new food pantry in Portland where the old Greyhound station used to be that will be serving a very diverse population um, throughout Portland. And so we are working with them and a number of um, different farms that are also recipients of that grant funding to uh, facilitate that food access program to crop plan around foods that are culturally unique. So like for instance, um, Maine farmers have more and more caught on to growing sweet potatoes um, as a crop that's now fairly regularly available during these winter months. Um, but for instance, sweet potato leaves is a culturally um, significant crop or amaranth or a range of other crops that we may not think of as commercially marketable, but actually with an increasingly diverse population that we have they are and they're significant to be incorporating. So if you look at something like sweet potatoes, all of a sudden you have the root uh, that is the known marketable crop for many farmers and for many of us as eaters, but also those leaves become a secondary market for the farmer and um, a very meaningful food um, for different cultures and recipients uh, through this work that we're doing. So I guess to sum it up um, within those areas, whether it's early childhood education centers, whether it is you know, the farm to pantry work that we're doing, whether it is working with employers and looking at insurance or other ways uh, through discretionary money that employers have to incentivize uh, those employers to look at food as a benefit for their employees. There is a whole dearth of different avenues uh, that we can go down to really expand that into significant opportunity for Maine farmers and um, significant opportunity for Maine eaters um, in terms of uh, increasing the access. And so I'd say within those, there's a lot of work to, to really um, bring them into fruition. We're excited about seeing where that goes and building upon uh, those market channels while still keeping our eyes open to 
any other ways uh, that we can be looking at increasing the market for farms and increasing access to main grown for eaters, consumers. Um, in our final minutes together, is there anything else that either of you would like to add to the conversation? I would just say I'm excited to hear too that you're speaking with the Maine Flower Collective today. And I think that one um, really positive thing that has come out of the work with Daybreak and that I'm seeing, for example, the collective and other and other community collaborations between farmers. Um, I do really feel like those kind of collaborations are what is going to like really help make the local food community sustainable into the future here in Maine. And it's really wonderful to kind of like be trying to solve the problem, how to really make that work. Cause as Colleen is talking about these great things that we're excited about. I also am similarly just excited about like, we have been bootstrapping for four years to try to figure out how to make this business work. And there's been a lot of trial and error. And I feel like we are finally getting to a point where we feel really comfortable, not comfortable. We feel like, okay, you know, we, we you know, we we're, <laughs> we're not in the red anymore. And we're like, got to figure out how to make this work and it's going to be sustainable. And cause there's a lot of weight, especially as a farmer driven business. Like we feel not just the weight of our success of our business, but like we are a, re a reliable marketplace for these farmers that we're working with. And it's really important for us to maintain that marketplace for them. And so there's a lot of pressure there, but it's also really exciting to start feeling it like it's working and also see other groups trying a more collective model of distribution. Um, so I would just have to say that that is, it's really exciting to see. Yeah. Well, thank you, Colleen and Adrian, for joining me today. For the second half of today's show, we'll be digging into the newly formed Maine Flower Collective with two board members and flower farmers. The Maine Flower Collective is a member-owned cooperative that provides flower growers and wholesale buyers with a centralized sales network and product delivery system. I'm joined by Melissa Law, Vice President of Maine Flower Collective, who also runs the flower program at Bumble Root Organic Farm in Wyndham. The farm grows certified organic blooms for their flower CSA, farm stand, and wholesale partners with a focus on annuals, including dahlias. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Also with us is Courtney Mungel, who operates Marebrook Farm in Brunswick with her husband, Ryan. They grow specialty cut flowers, evergreens, and certified organic edible flowers and herbs. Courtney, thank you for joining us. Thank you, our pleasure. I'd like to start by talking a bit about what the main flower collective is and how it came into being. Sure. Yeah. Um, so about two years ago, there was just a bubbling of conversation among flower growers around just the, some of the challenges to selling wholesale flowers in, in our state for small growers in particular. And I think that, you know, some of those challenges include things like not having delivery drivers or delivery vehicles to be able to transport large loads of flowers, long distances, um, not having the time and capacity to do the marketing and outreach that's required to find new customers and make those strong connections with buyers. So there was just conversation starting about um, 
how to kind of aggregate resources and make things a little easier for small growers. And over time, we became this kind of group of people that were that were talking about these challenges um, became aware of a specialty crop block grant opportunity, which essentially offers grants through USDA, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, to um, specialty crop growers um, and particularly groups of specialty crop growers. And this kind of informal conversation had to become formalized pretty quickly. And we did end up applying for a USDA grant and we received the grant um, in 2022. And from there, we formed our legal entity with advising from the Cooperative Development Institute, which is a nonprofit that focuses on um, helping cooperatives form and troubleshoot problems and kind of grow their entities. Um, and so it's, it's been really beneficial to have support from, from this organization that's really familiar with um, cooperative models. Um, they helped us decide what type of entity we wanted to form or what, what type of entity made the most sense for our group to form. Um, and we've, yeah, we've benefited a lot from their guidance over the past year. Is the main flower collective based on a model, like a collective flower model that you saw elsewhere? Or was this an idea that was really born out of the need in Maine? I imagine some of the things that you're talking about that are challenging include transport and Maine is a rather large state. So I'm curious what the genesis for the project was in terms of cooperative structure and models? I think that in, in this conversation, we could definitely talk about how we've been um, influenced by other flower collectives. There's definitely a movement of flower collectives um, taking place across the country, really. And we've we've looked to other flower collectives in a lot of ways. And, and we did actually kind of ask around and do some research into what other co flower collectives were using as their cooperative models. But we ended up taking a pretty different direction than most of the flower collectives that we're aware of um, in that we formed a multi-stakeholder cooperative. So rather than just a producer cooperative made up of flower growers and, and flower farmers, um, we are actually a multi-stakeholder cooperative that includes both growers and buyers. So we've, we felt that it was really important to have the perspective of um, the florists and floral designers in our state so that their needs could be met. And so we do have two floral designers on our board and we're accepting um, floral designers into the collective as annual users as well. Courtney, do you have anything to add? No, I think what you said um, really gave a great overview of the process. The one thing I would add to it is we had an we had our first ever convergence this fall. And the priority of the convergence um, speak was speaking to Melissa's description of the collective as being multifaceted stakeholder entity is we invited the buyers and we invited growers as part of the convergence. And so we had 
basic sessions that were talking about the mission and the ethos um, and initially envisioned by the steering group members of the collective, but they were further refined and defined by the participants of the convergence. So buyers were, you know, expressing interest in, you know, ways of delivery or their interest in sustainability or different days of the week that they'd want to see the products. Growers were also kind of sharing similar um, concerns or interests. And so as a board, we were able to take that feedback directly and begin to formulate a plan. And I think that that's a little bit different um, than, again, some of the other more traditional collectives that Melissa was referencing. So it's kind of a unique main, I I think a a unique approach and a a unique way for Maine to try to answer ways um, that we can help Mainers in the floral industry. So for folks who aren't maybe familiar with the world of farming and flower farming in particular, and also um, the world of florists, how do you envision this collaborative initiative benefiting both Maine's farmers, Maine's flower farmers particularly, and Maine's businesses? (laughs) We envision it as a way, we just always talk about getting more flowers out to more Mainers in really sustainable and dynamic ways being able to the main growing season is you know is a is a tight growing season so you have a lot of very passionate farmers that are growing really delicate varieties or have really deep expertise in certain uh, products and so by being able to make those products more accessible and deliver them to buyers who are looking for beautiful pieces without the reliance of you know larger wholesale conglomerates kind of sending products their way that um, we just think that it's a really exciting prospect to be able to keep main flower farmers providing for main growers without any kind of concern about supply chain issues or larger environmental you know carbon footprints. I'm trying to envision you know as a flower farmer in Maine what it means to be in the collective. One example I might be thinking of is say a a flower designer um, or a florist has a really large need for a certain type of flower for a project that they're working on. Um, One example might be many farmers, smaller farmers might be able to fill that order if they're kind of banded together. Is that one way in which the collective would work? Yeah, exactly. That's a great example of, yeah, one of the benefits for buyers, especially Um, one thing that, you know, I spoke earlier a little bit about the benefits for for growers um, in terms of streamlining our delivery and even some of our marketing. But one of the things we were hearing from floral buyers was that it was, you know, for their small businesses, it was equally challenging for them to be traveling across the state um, to multiple farms over the course of their week. It was, it just takes a lot of time to to get to get to multiple farms to find the vehicle or maybe the um, employee, you know, the employee time to do that. And similarly, they would have trouble getting all the material they wanted from a single farm. So it was kind of this issue of not only was it like inconvenient to go to multiple farms, they weren't always able to find exactly what they were looking for from a single farm. And so, yeah, we hope to that the collective will be able to solve that 
both of those issues, both the convenience of, you know, we plan to deliver either to florist store or to a, a very convenient um, drop site. And so we hope that by aggregating flowers from multiple farms um, and then putting them all together into the order for the for the floral designer or the florist, that they will just be receiving one delivery of flowers from multiple fr farms that could be located literally across the state. You could have a farm in Bangor, a farm in Kittery, and a farm in Portland or around Portland, all, all of their flowers aggregated into one order and delivered to the door of a florist. And so we hope that that'll make it more appealing for, for main florists and floral designers to, um, to work with the collective, just because it will streamline their ordering and, and delivery process as well. This is Common Ground Radio on WERU-FM 89.9. Today's discussion is focused on farmer collaboratives in the state of Maine. I'm Holly Cedarholm, and I'm currently talking with Maine Flower Collective board members, Melissa Law of Bumbleroot Organic Farm and Courtney Mungell of Marebrook Farm. So I'm thinking of the idea of aggregating different blooms from different growers, and I imagine that you've thought about how different growers might have different specifications for their flowers and sort of quality control. So I'm wondering if you could speak to, to that and how the collective has thought about that. That's a terrific question. Um, certainly the, the focus of the collective is making sure that we can provide beautiful and high quality blooms. And so we actually have a working group comprised of flower farmers and, and floral designers that recently met and created a quality standards guide. So that's going to be something that is available to the members of the collective. And it goes variety. It breaks down the flowers by variety. So if someone is interested in providing snapdragons for a specific order, there'll be details on the length, on the bloom stage, on how things should be delivered um, to the collective in order to make sure that the product is of the utmost quality when it reaches the buyer's hands. You are both flower farmers, and I'm wondering if you could talk to sort of your season or a day on your farm um, as a flower farmer would look with and without the collective? Like how is it going to impact your farm specifically? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, for me personally, one of the reasons that I got involved in this in the first place was at Bumbleroot at our farm, we for the past eight years have had our CSA program, we have a flower CSA program, and we um, sell mixed bouquets and some single variety bunches at our farm stand. But I had always been a little intimidated by um, by the prospect of entering into the wholesale market, just because I didn't really know many floral designers. I didn't have those connections and I didn't, um, I just simply didn't have the time to go to their doors and meet them. And in, and in the floral industry, there are actually quite a lot of um, floral designers who don't have a storefront. You know, there are definitely brick and mortar florists, but there are also lots of designers that are studio designers that, um, you know, do primarily weddings and events that so they don't have a storefront that you can walk into and introduce yourself and ask them if they're interested in working with farmers. Um, so 
for me, I think that the collective will just really kind of open the door to a lot of opportunity to, um, to sell the flowers that we grow. And after, um, after, you know, kind of speaking with some of the designers that uh, we've been working with on the board and in our working groups, I definitely have a better sense of what floral designers are looking for. And so I think that that's actually impacted my crop planning for this year. Um, just getting a sense of what kinds of colors and textures designers are looking for um, has impacted the seeds that I that I've ordered for the season. And we're really excited to try to use that quality standards guide that Courtney was describing to um, make sure that the quality of the blooms coming out of the field that like my whole team is aware of what the stem length should be, what the stage of harvest is for these flowers um, so that there is, so that we are meeting those quality standards of the collective and that the designers are getting the same quality product um, from no, no matter what farm they're ordering from. So I think a similar, um, similar process, slightly different scale. We are, our Mirbrook farm is about four years old, I guess, in terms of our wholesale production capacity. Um, we traditionally have uh, flower shares that we offer local community members, and then we do wholesale bouquets to local um, bakeries, restaurants, um, in the area. And so that's primarily what we've done. We've, and we do some weddings as well. And for us, it's a mix of trying to get out in front of additional floral designers. We have kind of a, our standard set of crops, but we're always getting new requests from floral de designers. So we're able to offer them some, but we can't offer them solutions of things that we don't have. So now we'll be able to see what Melissa at Bumblebeard has and says, okay, and so we can go and say, we have this variety in white. Melissa has this variety in pink and orange and all these other things. So if they're a member of the collective, they'll be able to go and check out Melissa's availability list. Over at Bumbleroot, they'll be able to see ours. And so the idea is that collectively, we can help problem solve for floral, for, for floral designers that are looking for a specific need that we can make their job a lot easier we can move more of our products more strategically um, for them. We also do some um, some small scale events for floral designs. Just and so there have been occasions where last year we went and we looked at Bumbleweird and they had colors that we needed. They had flowers that we needed, and so we were able to purchase them from uh, from Bumbleweird directly. But we had to go and drive down to Wyndham, which is a lovely ride. But when you have a farm of three people that takes you know your that's quite a ways to go from farm to farm and to just manage the order and to pick it up and and handle all of that so from you know both being able to sell flowers that are going to make florists stay a little bit brighter a little bit more beautiful for their clients to us also being able to grow our network of flower farmers in Maine it just is something that we're incredibly excited about part of the Maine Flower Collective mission is to help cultivate a sustainable floriculture industry of local flower growers and industry professionals interested in using local blooms as a reliable alternative to wholesale imported flowers. And what you both are just talking about makes it sound like there is a growing desire among the florist industry in Maine to use local flowers. I'm wondering 
where the flowers are coming from if they're not coming from Maine. Where are they being imported from and why is the shift to using local flowers important in terms of this mission for increased sustainability? Yes, that's a really great question. And really, I think um, one of the primary overall benefits for the floral industry in Maine, I think will be the reducing the carbon footprint and the emissions that comes from importing flowers. So currently most of the flowers that um, are used in the state of Maine are imported either from South America or California. So, you know, flown by plane over weeks. Um, and so a lot of times um, those products just carry a huge car carbon footprint and they're packaged and wrapped in boxes and paper and plastic. By making more flowers accessible and available to buyers across the state, through the collective, we're really hoping to reduce their their reliance on those imported flowers. You know, of course, it's not going to be realistic year round because Maine's flower season is definitely not a 12 month of the year season. Um, I think that there are some products that um, people are able to grow in January and February, like tulips, um, but most flowers aren't going to be available until, you know, April, May, and really June at the earliest. And so during those winter months, many floral designers will still have to rely on imported flowers, but our goal is to kind of bit by bit decrease their need to, to look elsewhere just by providing really high quality, a, a great selection because you have all these growers coming together um, to, to kind of aggregate their availability list. So there's going to be a wide variety of flowers available. And then just, you know, in general for all of our businesses, whether you're a farm or a florist, we're going to be reducing the vehicle miles traveled um, for all of these businesses by providing these um, delivery routes where people can either go to a pickup site or a drop site um, if you're a grower or um, have your flowers delivered to you if you're a buyer. And so we're really um, envisioning this as a way to, to make the floral industry in Maine less reliant on on imports and um, just reduce the carbon footprint overall. Are you envisioning then the travel network for the collective to be statewide? So right now we're looking um, kind of the, we call it the, the 95 corridor, like looking at Brunswick will be the hub, the area, the central location where we'll be aggregating all the orders and just trying to take care of the delivery routes. There will be a south, a southern route that'll go down to Kittery right now we're envisioning, and then one that will go further north, um, at least up to Bangor. I read the collective is planning a centralized virtual marketplace to open in 2023. And I wanted to first off congratulate you on um, the opening and it's very exciting. And I was wondering if we can get an update. Has the marketplace opened yet? If not, is there a, an, a launch date in the future? 
we are, you know, T minus two months to launch. <laughs> We're planning on a mid-April launch for the collective, for the actual um, distribution to start happening. Um, there are a lot of people working hard to make that happen right now. The centralized virtual virtual network that you mentioned is we're actually using a platform called the Rooted Farmers platform. And it's a it's a software that's developed specifically for flower farmers and actually um, with flower collectives in mind. So it's a really, really unique um, software that is just really fits our needs perfectly and we're, we're many of us um, started using it last year in anticipation um, for the collective to open just to kind of get familiar with the ordering process and um, navigating that that system and um, it I would I can say for my business personally it was a huge boon to our business it worked really well for us um and so I think that we have we have high hopes that it will work really well um for the collective just to be able to have many different farmers upload their availability list once a week and then the buyers can go on and they see all of those availability lists in one place they can click through and say okay, uh, I want, you know, snapdragons from this farm. I want stock from this farm. I want peonies from this farm. Um, and just kind of check out as if it's one order, but they've just pur purchased flowers from three or four or many, many different farms. So we're really excited about this, this software and excited to launch the delivery routes starting in mid-April. One thing just to maybe clarify for our listeners is that individual citizens like myself, if I were just trying to register as, you know, Holly wants to buy some flowers, that's not an option. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the process of becoming a collective member and the details involved. Thank you. So right now, um, buyers are going through the application, well, both buyers and growers are going through the application process. So for there's an application online that people have an opportunity to read. And it's the at the front portion of the website, there is a wonderful graphic that talks about eligibility. So there's an opportunity for growers to get a sense of what we're looking for in terms of members of the collective that will be growing and contributing flowers to the system in terms of the years growing um, and just some very helpful details. And then for buyers, also the same, kind of what the expectations are. Then individuals are invited to apply to the collective. This year, growers will be um, eligible to apply up through March 15th. We wanted to make sure that growers had an opportunity to kind of plan their, make their crop plan um, in advance of when the collective was really going to be launching. And buyers will have an opportunity to apply on a rolling basis. So the idea is they'll have an opportunity to review eligibility requirements and more, learn more about who we are and apply. And then we'll be able to share the news of the collective throughout the year. And hopefully more people will be interested in joining and contributing their talents in the years ahead. I'd just like to add that um, while currently we are only working with wholesale 
wholesale customers like floral designers and brick and mortar florists. We do hope that if everything goes smoothly, that in the future, we might be able to service customers like you, Holly, who don't necessarily have a floral business, but love would love a bouquet of flowers. Um, but we're just trying to take baby steps. So not, not in 2023. In our final minutes, is there anything else that you would like to share about the Maine Flower Collective? I think one of the most exciting things that has come up through the collective is the community, I think, of both individual farmers and individual buyers connecting within their sub-communities. So you have these contingencies of farmers from the northern part of the state and the southern part of the state that have been volunteering their time for the past year. And they're learning, yes, they're learning how to kind of run a business and create different policies all for the collective, but they're also learning farming strategies along the same time. And then you have buyers and farmers interacting. And so we're learning more about the varieties that are of interest to them and what would be most helpful for them. So it's, we're all working collectively for the collective, but individual networks and kind of support friendships have come out of this in a really lovely way. Yeah, I, I would I would echo what Courtney said. It's just a really strong sense of community at a time when when I think we all need it. And I, I think that we're all really excited to, we've been doing a lot of planning over the past year, as Courtney said, and we're just really excited to kind of get our boots on the ground and, and see a lot of local flowers move across the state of Maine. Well, thank you both for joining me today. This has been Common Ground Radio, which airs on the second Thursday of each month at 4 p.m. on WERU Community Radio 89.9 FM. Archives of previous episodes can be found on WERU.org as well as on the WERU app. A special thanks to all of my guests for joining today. I'd also like to thank my co-host, Caitlin Barker, and the show's editor, Claire Balland. Stay tuned for more great programming. <laughs>